other round. I can dig traffic up here. This is out of bounds. Clemente picks the hottest day in the year to come in out of the cold. Yeah, if he comes. Oh, he'll come. Word gets around, he's dogging his people out. The only safe place to be will be with us. Yeah, it's just the waiting. I hate the waiting. You feel like a character in a Beckett play. This one, you know Beckett. Charlie Beckett, down in the corner of the shoe shine. Writes plays on the side. Welcome back, Vice fans, to the Vice of Miami podcast for show number 37. Mark and I are always glad you are joining us. We hope you enjoyed our last show covering Phil Shell along with the interview with the writer, Paul Diamond. This show is going to be released on Halloween morning, so we're going to do a spooky theme. You know, somewhat. So just bear with us. As always, sit back, relax, grab a beverage, maybe a pumpkin ale and a fistful of Halloween candy, and enjoy the Vice of Miami podcast covering Season 2, Episode 12, Definitely Miami. This episode is written by Michael Anneman and Daniel Pine. It's directed by Rob Cohen. The original air date is January 10th, 1986. It's the 34th episode overall in the series. And our plot summary is that Crockett deals with a serial killer preying on drug dealers and his seductive wife, while Castillo tries to keep a protected witness from being exposed by an overzealous government agent. Mark, let's cover the guest stars and co-stars that make an appearance in this episode. First up, we have Ariel Lore Maxime Sonnery de Fromental as Callie Bassett. Born April 27, 1957, she is a French-American actress, model, and singer known by Ariel Dambalcel. Born in Norwich, Connecticut, she was raised by her grandparents in Mexico after her mother died. She began singing and acting career after studying at the Conservatoire International de Musica de Paris in Mexico, then moved to Paris, where she began acting in French films in 1978. Her first American movie appearance was in 1979's Test, then made her American TV debut in the miniseries Lace. Her last U.S. movie appearance was in The Boss's Wife. The remainder of Dambasal's career 
has been spent acting, singing, producing, writing, and directing French films. She married Dr. Philippe Albo in 1976 until their divorce in 1985, after which she married Bernard-Henri Lévy, a French philosopher and writer, in 1993, and she has two stepchildren. Next up, we have Albert P. Hall as federal agent Joe Dalva. Born November 10, 1937, he's an American actor born in Brighton, Alabama. He is a 1971 graduate of the Columbia University School of Arts and has appeared in the theater. Here's some of his credits. Cotton Comes to Harlem, his movie debut in 1970. If You Give a Dance, You Gotta Pay the Band. That's his TV debut in 1972. Apocalypse Now, Malcolm X, The Practice, National Treasure, Book of Secrets, Not Easily Broken was his most recent movie appearance in 2009, and his most recent TV appearance was in 2009's Men of a Certain Age. We really couldn't find anything else about this highly talented actor. Mark, next up we have Kamala Lopez as Maria Rojas, born April 15, 1964. She's an American actress, screenwriter, and director. Some credits include Spencer for Hire, born in East L.A., 21 Jump Street, NYPD Blue, Alias, Lie to Me, Any Day Now, which was 2012, which was her most recent movie appearance. Perception in 2014 was the most recent TV appearance. Lopez also produced and directed the film A Single Woman, which is a film about the first U.S. Congresswoman, Jeanette Rankin, and she is co-founder of the indie film podcast Fat Free Films and is a frequent blogger on the Huffington Post. Lopez married actor Joel Marshall in 2007. Next is Enrique Sandino as Gravas. That's the messenger for the crime boss Clemente. We could really only find limited information, such as Sandino was born in Jerusalem, Colombia. His acting career began in the 1985 movie The Tenement, followed by Alamo, The Price of Freedom. An episode of Dallas, Diplomatic Community, and his last credited role was in 2008, an episode of The Shield. And finally, last guest star is Ted Nugent as drug buyer murderer Charles Charlie Bassett. Born December 13, 1948, is an American hard rock guitarist and vocalist. Nugent was born in Detroit, Michigan, which gave rise to his nickname, the Motor City Madman. He moved to Palatine, Illinois when he was a teenager and attended high school there. In 1965, he formed his first band, the Amboy Dukes, becoming the house band at The Cellar, a teenage club outside of Chicago, where they were in residency until the club closed. After a while, Nugent then became a solo act. He released three albums during this period, Ted Nugent, Free For All, and Cat Scratch Fever, which features his songs Hey Baby, Stranglehold, Dog Eat Dog, and the title Cat Scratch Fever. And that is the only one that reached the Billboard Top 40, hitting number 30 in 1977. Nugent appeared as himself on many TV news shows and documentaries, as well as the shows, that 70s show, The Simpsons, and Penn and Teller Bullshit, among some roles. Nugent is a fervent believer in unrestricted gun ownership, hunter's rights, and abstinence from drug alcohol use. He is a spokesman for MAD, DARE, Big Brothers Big Sisters, and the National Archery Field Association. 
He founded Ted Nugent Camp for Kids, a camp for inner-city children teaching them hands-on about hunting, conservation, and archery, tied in with a strong anti-drug message. Nugent has been married twice and has, has what we total up to be seven children by many women, some being his wives. Okay, we're going to round out the co-stars for this episode. We have Roger Preto as Sergio Clemente, Robert Monica as the bartender, Richard Brams as policeman number one, Paris Buckner as Alfred Clark, Jim Fitzpatrick as Teddy Lake, Robert Hoeschler as SWAT commander, and John Gregory Casper as policeman number two. Okay, this is part of the show where we're going to go over the goofs, the fun facts, and the locations of the filming for this episode. Tim, why don't you take it away? Welcome to the Halloween episode. We're taking over for Mark and Tim. I'm Lucifer. And I'm Lucifer's cousin, Beetlejuice. And no, don't say it three times. Oh, Beetlejuice. Oh, I'm not going to say it one more time. What have you been up to? Will you got any news for us? What, what you been up to? I do, it. I do have some news for you, cuz. I heard that up in Baraboo, Wisconsin, more specifically, North Freedom, Wisconsin. Just remember, this is all rumor, it's unconfirmed, but I heard up in North Freedom at the Mid-Continent Railway Museum, the train that they have there is going to be a spooky train. Supposedly, I'm selling tickets, but the point, yeah, the point of contact is a one conductor, Kevin P. Eaton. Again, that's Kevin Peacock. That's who you want to see. For the Mid-Continent Railway Spooky Train. I wonder if he's going to be in his costume. (laughs) Don't you want to know what I've been up to? Yeah, what have you been up to, cuz? COVID. COVID? COVID. Yep, I came up... With the, the tiny little germ, COVID. Just the germ. No, Nothing no. else. And how did that uh, work out for you? Hey, I just created a germ. That's all I did. What became of it was all humans. That's all your own doing. That's all I got to say. I made the common cold, too. People live with that. <laughs> well, hey, <laughs> I think we're holding up the show. Why don't we get into right. the goose and fun facts? We're going to do We're going to do it. Okay, then we do it. Yep, go ahead. Go ahead. All right. Uh, our first fun fact, uh, Lucifer, is about the storyline. This episode continues the theme of power-hungry federal agents doing anything, often unsuccessfully, to achieve their objective. Next up, we have a goof. The car is buried in the opening scene without the sight or sound of a piece of equipment capable of moving that volume of sand. And the other goof, whoever typed this script up was really a moron. They put the whole thing in bold. How am I supposed to delineate who's doing what? (laughs) 
our first location, Lucifer, is the Rickenbacker Causeway Bridge to Key Biscayne, and that was where you had the Clemente exchange with the fake Maria. As you can tell, this bridge is under construction and is now named the William M. Powell Bridge. We will have photos of it then and now in the show post. And we have a goof. When Crockett drives to the final showdown with Charlie, one of the long shots of him driving across the causeway is clearly of the Porsche seen in the opening scene and not his Daytona. Most easily identifiable by the Porsche's obvious round headlights. As the scene crossfades to the next shot of Crockett driving directly towards the camera. What's the last one, Beetle? We have a location, Four Point Sheridan Hotel. 4343 Collins Avenue, Miami Beach. And that's where you have the Cali pool scenes. This was later remodeled. Ha ha! We'll see you later. Happy Halloween. <laughs> Happy Halloween, everybody. And remember, Kevin P. Egar is your point of contact, Midcontinent Railway Museum. <laughs> say as well that those are pretty pretty good uh, goofs, fun facts, and locations there, especially the one when they're building the bridge, when they're attempting to do the decoy swap. Very interesting. And first up for Miami Vice in the news. At Walt Disney World in Epcot, a Christmas tradition returns in full force from the pandemic. The Candlelight Procession which hosts celebrity narrators, the Voices of Liberty a cappella ensemble, a 50-piece live orchestra, and glorious mass choirs as they present a heartwarming retelling of their traditional Christmas story. I know what you're saying. What does this got to do with Miami Vice? Well, on November 27th and 29th, Edward James Almos is going to be the celebrity narrator. So hop in your spider or caddy convertible and head west from Miami to Orlando and check this out. I've seen this before. It is pretty cool. It's really uh, a good thing to check out. On October 22nd of this year, Showbiz Cheat Sheet reported that a house that cameoed in Miami Vice was put up for sale for a cool $8.75 million. The Miami Vice house in question is located at 8505 Southwest 53rd Avenue in Miami's Ponce Davis neighborhood. Break out your checkbook, people. And you too can live Miami Vice. Okay, let's check out the music for this episode. First up, we have Angry Young Man by Ted Nugent. That's the during the opening scene. We have Europa by Ghetto Barberi at the pool. And Cry by Godly and Cream. That's during the showdown with Crockett and Charlie. And Mark, some Jan Hammer music is Free Verse. And that's when Crockett's had dealings with Callie, Crockett and Tubbs at the bar, and other scenes. Another one is Causeway, which is the first meeting set up between Clemente and his sister on a highway construction site. 
Mark, let's go over the trivia portion of this episode. Last episode, we asked, what's the name of the Phil Collins song written for his game show and specifically for this episode? It was titled Rat Race, which was the same as the name of the show. But we give a special thanks to Tom Duchette when he emailed us and noted that Rat Race was written for the show itself, but the music melody is from Phil Collins' song, Man with the Horn, from his album, No Jacket Required. We'll put a link to that in the show notes. This show's trivia question is, when we first see Charlie Bassett poolside after the gopher for Clemente gets away, while he's speaking to the bartender, how hot does Charlie say it's going to be today? You can post your answers on this episode's Facebook post, or you can email us at miamivice at duck.com. All right, we've arrived at the discussion portion of our podcast. In the opening scene, we're at a sand pit, or we end up there. The heat of Miami is depicted in a short montage of the sun. After a pan shot of Miami Beach scene, a Porsche pulls up to what looks like a sand lot. An unknown subject gets out and appears to be waiting for a woman named Callie. A vet pulls up, a guy gets out, and the unsub calls him Charlie. Charlie proceeds to blast this guy, grabs the cash, and then buries the body in the Porsche under a mountain of sand. Okay, we're moving along to uh, the hotel swimming pool area where Crockett and Tubbs, they're having some toddies, some drinks there, cool drinks while waiting for Clemente to show up. Clemente is supposed to turn state's evidence on his colleagues, but needs protection, obviously. Crockett becomes pretty much infatuated with hot blonde in a bikini who's sunning herself. She's putting on a show for Crockett and Tubbs. I also noticed where she takes, I think it was Perrier water or something, puts in a bowl and then dunks a towel in there. How she cools she cools herself off with bottled water. Give me a break. She puts on this big show. She brings the drinks that they ordered to them. Crockett intros himself as Burnett and pretty much puts the wrap on this chick. While Tubbs kind of walks away to the other table to update Castillo on the phone um, that Clemente is a no-show. And in the background, we see Charlie in at the bar talking to the bartender. We'll get to what that has to do with this chick later. Suddenly, Clemente Middleman, the gopher, a toady, whatever you want to call him, delivers a message to Crockett saying that Clemente is concerned about their security or essentially the lack thereof. He says Clemente wants to see Maria Rojas before he turns himself into the feds. Tubbs comes walking, walking up now from the other table wondering what's going on. And then this middleman guy gets all twitchy and freaking out and pulls out a gun and Crockett and Tubbs. Well, here we go. No shootout, though, but a chase ensues. And the middleman pretty much takes off in a waiting car. This guy driving a car looked like a real typical douchebag. We'll put a picture to him. All while Charlie is looking on. He's wondering what's going on, I'm sure. And then we shift to the OCB where Trudy's digging up information on this one Maria Rojas who is in witness protection after she testified to beat a rap on income tax and fraud and bribery. Basically, the feds are going to pull her out of witness protection to meet with Clemente. Maria Rojas, 
wife of the late Tony Rojas, accessory to bribery, accessory dispersal of illegal funds, accessory to tax fraud. Nice resume. Are those arrests or convictions? Neither anymore. She did a stand-up for a grand jury about two years ago, bought herself a new life. Maria's a federally protected witness, guys. I don't think we can touch her. Organized Crime Task Force in Washington is sending down a consultant. They're going to cooperate? Yes. Messenger's gun? Not on the prince. Put the word out on him. Might give us a fix on what Clemente's thinking. The fans are going to give up somebody they promised to protect. Evidently. Then we shift back to the hotel bar. And Croc and Tubbs are talking to the bartender to ask him if he knew who that middleman was that pulled a gun on him. Crockett sees Callie in the bar and then engages her in conversation. She starts pouring on this story that uh, she tells him just to walk away as she's concerned somebody is watching her, following her, stalking her. Crockett still presses on in conversation and then she just starts telling her life story. She talks about a bad husband, bad marriage. Crockett tells her to just walk away from the husband, but she says she can't as she has no family or friends to turn to. She has tried to leave him, but the husband won't let her. So Crockett offers to help her as Burnett. So now we're moving along here to, we're assuming that is Burnett's beach house. I don't, this is something new, isn't it, Tim? This hot beach it house? It is something new, but he, he told her that this is what, this is just a place where he stays, this is where he stays when he's, when he's in town. I think it's kind of, he was insinuating that. Right. You got to assume that this is something sanctioned by OCB, Miami, Miami Dade, uh, right. sheriffs, okay. things like that. That, I mean, this is, I, I would say, yes, gotcha. this is probably something confiscated and he uses as part of his cover. But it is something new. So, anyway, as we digressed a little bit, uh, Crockett brings her to this undercover beach house here to get, she brings, he brings uh, Kelly there to get away from her husband, chill out there and stay there for a while. She wants to pretty much get it on with Crockett and says she never loved her husband. Crockett tells her to get a new life and a job. She replies, men are my job. She wants a man who's going to give her what she needs, and she'll be beholden to him. Crockett basically asks her if she jumps in headfirst without knowing someone all the time. She tells Crockett that he's reckless, hungry, and lonely and brought her to his crib for only one thing. Isn't it obvious? So we move along to OCB here where Tubbs and Castillo are meeting with assistant rector... Joe Delva, he's of the Federal Organized Crime Division. He tells them that Sergio Clemente wants protection to turn state's evidence. Marty, in his Marty-esque way, expresses concern about exposing Maria Rojas. Delva tells them he is Clemente's sister. Ricardo Tubbs is... uh... Joe Delva, Assistant Director, Organized Crime Task Force. Pleased to meet you. Pleasure, Rick. I understand you made the contact with uh, Clemente's messenger. I was explaining to Agent Delva her reluctance to compromise a protected witness. And I was explaining to your lieutenant here that this is a lock. Sergio Clemente is one of the biggest crime lords in the Southeast. He wants to turn state's evidence in exchange for immunity. This is a major league defection, guys. Clemente could tumble the whole house of cards, Atlantic City to Puerto Rico. Be a nice feather in your cap. And I got in my notes, oh boy, another co-op with the feds. What could go wrong with this? Am I right, yes, Tim? Yes, and, and you know what? I, 
to me, you know, it started at the very beginning where they were watching or waiting for Clemente, and he was a no-show. Was at that point, Crock and Tubbs and OCB working with the feds. We didn't get that. We first find out about it when Joe Delva is talking to uh, Marty and the Tubbs. So that, that was just one thing to me is how did they end up doing this again? Were they doing this watching for him for the feds? Or did they have their own independent investigation? Doesn't really say. Made this a little bit. Another thing that made this episode really confusing. So now we are back at the beach where Crock and Tubbs are discussing Callie. And Crock says she went back to her husband. He said something is weird about her. Tubbs says maybe she's playing a competition game between Burnett and her husband. And he's still... Sonny now finally... You know, he always get infatuated with these women. Uh, and now he's really, his spidey sense is coming up and he says something's up. Tubbs then lets Crockett know about Delva's plan to bring in Clemente, which he believes in his own del- delusions of grandeur, will wipe out all organized crime at once. Crockett doesn't trust the feds or buys Caliac. He tells Tubbs, the better you get at this job, the more dangerous it becomes. Lose your edge. And you are a dead cop. And this is where, Tim, this whole episode is kind of, eh, doesn't mesh. We'll get into that in our reviews, but it's not good in my opinion. But anyway, we're moving along here to a parking garage. Why we're in a parking garage to get this information, we don't know, but it is. Crockett Tubbs and Agent Delva meet with Alfred Clark, who is Maria's attorney. He informs them that she's not going to come out of uh, the witness protection program to help out. Delva tells him her brother wants to see her, maybe to entice her. No. Clark says Maria will call Delva once Delva returns to uh, Washington, D.C. And I think this is the scene, yeah, this is the scene where Delva says, hey, she in the car, she in the car, so he goes to run, opens up the lawyer's car door, and then out jumps a dog. Surprise. Joe Delva, Alfred Clark, I'm Mrs. Rojas's attorney. Where is she? Home. My client's declining to cooperate. Come again? My client declines to cooperate. She feels it might greatly shorten her lifespan. That's all, folks. Wait a minute. Does she realize what she's doing? Her brother wants to come in out of the cold just to see her after two long years. Look, she's scared enough already before all this happened. Let me talk with her. Sure. She'll call you as soon as you get back to D.C. She's in the car, isn't she? Don't open that door. She's very protective. So we move along here to Callie's hotel room. Crackett goes to see uh, Callie and ask her why she came back. She told him she left her husband. So we think, right? Crockett says he can protect her if she is honest with him. She replies, why would I lie to you? And all this other sob story stuff. She tells Crockett she cannot ask him to get involved. And he says he already is. When we get to the who is who in this, you're going to figure it out. Crockett's being duped. So anyway, Charlie, the a.k.a. the hubby, shows up, roughs up Crockett, and kicks him out of the hotel room. Again, once we get to who is who, why was it just uh, you know a, a 
quick little shove and a punch to Crockett, and he takes off. Weird. And Crockett didn't Tim? bust him. Yeah, Crockett right. didn't bust him. So now we move on to the OCB team and the sheriffs are at a construction area for a bridge waiting for Clemente to show up. Marty arranged for a, a Maria decoy to give Sergio just a peek at her. You know, and meanwhile, Tubbs asks Crockett why he did not arrest Charlie after the scuffle. Crockett says they're running a game on Burnett, basically setting him up. He tells Tubbs he has to see this through. Tubbs is concerned that she's falling in love with a cop's cover, which could make it worse for her. Then we see Marty brings in the decoy, and Delva says this is not going to work. He's not going to buy it. Trudy and Gina see a limo arriving on the scene, and I believe they said a stretch. And Castile tells them to leave it, let it leave the area. The limo then turns around, and Della gives Clemente a peek at the decoy through his tinted windows of the uh, limo. And Della senses Clemente did not buy the decoy and orders all on the scene to let him go as he wants a cooperative witness. And then back this at was, OCB. You knew this. Go ahead. You, oh, sorry, Tim. You knew this wasn't going to work. This is definitely not vice esque, a fake. A fake person, a decoy, especially when someone right. knows somebody. Come on. Right. It's just I, Marty's sorry, way Tim. of trying to protect her. And Marty's way of trying to protect her. That's all. So now at OCB, Switek is tracing any incoming calls. Tubbs takes a call from Clemente who says he wants to know if Marie is still alive. He says they will have one more chance to show her to him or the deal with the feds is off. Then we have Delva in Castillo's office. Delva's talking to... Marty's boss and then he hands the phone to Marty and then tells Marty to give Delva his full cooperation I never thought it would work but I wanted to give your people their best shot he's right here your boss yes I understand we'll give agent Delva complete cooperation Castillo is Castillo here, not looking at him. Man of few words. Loved it. That's pretty much one of the few good parts of this episode. So now we move along Just to... Just constant stare. So now we move along to Callie's crib here. And OCB, uh, she, she's sitting on a bed and tells Charlie to rough her up as it's a way to draw Crockett further into her game. So these two are working together to get Crockett lured in for something. Um, so he smacks around a little bit, and now we go to OCB, where we see Crockett trying to call Kelly and gets no answer. As he leaves the room, Tubbs reminds him about edges and dead cops. And then Crockett retorts with pretty much, don't listen to me as I talk too much. So now we have Delva going to see Maria. Well, he put the stakeout on her to find out where she's at. Maria was walking on the street near her home, and once she saw Delva as he called her, she ran and locked herself in her house. Well, good work by Switek here. He's already inside waiting for her. She left the sliding door open. So she wants to know why she, uh, he's so anxious to see her, you know, her brother here. She says he just wants to kill her for testifying against him in court as he killed her husband. Delva promises protection after, and after re she refuses, he says that her uh, witness protection will be pulled if she continues to refuse. Maria. Maria? Maria? 
Oh, hi there. Um, the uh, sliding door was open. <clears throat> I didn't mean to startle you. I'm sorry. Maria, it's not a lot to ask. Give your brother a kiss on the cheek and disappear back into the suburbs. Why do you think he's so anxious to see me? He just wants... He just wants to know that you're okay. So he can kill me himself. Now we're getting a little bit meshed in the stories here. Who's who? All right, now we uh, return to the Burnett undercover home, and Callie shows up at his home, beaten and bruised by her husband. She tells Crockett that she told Charlie she was working with Burnett to, buy, to have him broker a two-key deal worth 6 k and that, that was as a way to explain why Crockett, a.k.a. Burnett, was in a room when Charlie busted in. She says, Charlie owes people money and will take what he can get for the coke. Crockett asks her if the deal goes bad, does she want him to kill Charlie? She doesn't reply, but her look says yes. Charlie is out on their balcony sucking up the sweltering heat and says, definitely Miami. He comes back inside and asks Callie if she made it with Burnett. She says no and tells him not to shoot Burnett in the face. Then we're at OCB again, and here we find Crockett getting wired up to record the deal going down. Tubbs tell him to be careful. Zito walks in and hands Crockett a specially made suitcase as part of his cover. And that's where he's going to put the cash in. Marty pops his head in and tells Tubbs that Gina has a line on Clemente's messenger and go check it out. So we move along to the um, pretty much the messenger's hideout here in the workplace. It's like a little shack off a warehouse, I guess you could say. Gina and Tubbs arrive at his quote-unquote lair. They bust in, ID themselves as Vice. He starts stammering and all this stuff. He also becomes apologetic about the incident at the pool. He says he wouldn't uh, shot t- uh, Crockett and Tubbs, and he's just a refugee engineer. This is his way to get in the country working for these people. Uh, Gina and Tubbs press him on what Clemente wants with Maria. He said he did not know. He only heard, overheard, I should say, Clemente say that he wanted to see Maria dance again. So we got a little bit of more clarity on who's who, and pretty much there's two different stories going on in this episode. We got the Crockett, Charlie, Kelly story, and now we got the Maria Clemente story. Are we clear now? Because, man... It was totally confusing for me. I originally thought Callie was Maria Rojas. That's where I, early on, that's what I said when I was watching this episode. That's Maria. So now we move along to a concrete prefab site where they make sewer uh, sewer pipes and all this stuff. Um, OCB team and Delva bring the real Maria now to meet Clemente. He pulls up in his limo. Brother and sister meet and they hug. And then Maria stabs him several times with a knife that mysteriously appeared in her hand because she had no purse, no pockets, no coat, no nothing. It was just, now it's just there. So now everyone's like, what the heck's going on? What the heck's going on? Everyone's running. And then Clemente's sniper takes out Maria. Oh, wow. Wild, wild. Brother and sister are dead, and Delva was duped. He is beside himself. He thought he had this golden goose on his golden platter, but nope. The rug was pulled out from running a Delta. And just goes to prove the feds and bites don't work well together. No, they don't. And now we switch to the resolution of the other storyline. 
Charlie lures Burnett to the same spot where he killed the Porsche driver. Charlie shows up, demands Crockett's cash, and then immediately fires upon Crockett. We find out that the specially made suitcase was actually bulletproof, a gun battle ensues, and Crockett and a hidden Zito kill Charlie. Then a scene shifts back to the Clemente scene to find a dejected Delva. Castile offers his usual deep stare and walks away. Perfect. Scene shifts back to the drug deal where the evidence techs uncover several areas where there were buried cars along with the Porsche. So this has been going on and on, this con game. Killing for money, basically. Every pile of sand that we saw there, there were some deputies with shovels. Doom, doom, doom. Hey, we got another one. We got another one. Yes. Yep. Really weird. You got it. Really weird. So at the ending scene here, we've got uh, Callie at the beach. She's making sandcastles, being all happy now, right? She stands up and sees Charlie walking, but in reality, it was Crockett. Crockett comes up to her. He really doesn't say much. She plays Crockett uh, by saying that she was glad that he's okay. Oh, my God, I couldn't believe this. Whatever, did you get hurt? She wants Crockett to run off with her, go live in a house with a white picket fence and a dog. And in the background, we see a sheriff's helicopter lands on the beach. This was a little bit of overkill. Yes. Whatever. So Kelly, uh, Kelly realizes that the gig is up and Burnett is really a cop. He just watches as the deputies escort uh, Kelly to the helicopter. And she tries to seduce them, but to no available, to no avail, I should say. The chopper takes off and the episode ends with Crockett staring out to the ocean. Why a chopper? Why does he have a bunch of cars pull up? Thank God you were right. They have beaches whiter than this. So why they hurt your eyes? So clean, so pure, so empty. I take you there. I take you to places you never dreamed. Okay, now we're gonna check out the ratings for this episode. Holy crap. IMDb gives us an 8.8. Really? Anyways, uh, according to IMDb, this was the second highest rating just under Out Where the Buses Don't Run, which was an 8.9. Tim, tell me why this is not an 8.8. It definitely no way is. Again, like I said before, at the very beginning, I thought that Callie was Maria Rojas, and this was going to be a merger of the Clemente storyline with this side story, Burnett, Callie thing. Instead, we have Crockett infatuated by chicken in a bikini, and then he just stumbles accidentally onto a drug deal. And that that's about as much where Vice really, that's their jurisdiction. Once again, Crockett was going to be falling for another wounded dove, but his spidey sense kicked in, and he snapped out of this beguilement. Really confusing storyline. As for the supposed main plot... What did a mobster who wants to turn state's evidence for the feds have to do with the OCB team? As we alluded to earlier, were they working their own independent investigation? Were they all along working with Delva? We never get this. Seen this several times so far during the first two seasons. Out Where the Buses Don't Run was deserving of the 8.9. 
these two plots could have been standalone episodes, I think. So really, a thumbs down on this one, my friend. Tim, I'm just going to say one thing about this episode. I don't agree, Tim, with IMDb by any stretch of the imagination. I can say, however, that the stories themselves are good, as long as they played out well in their own episodes. Have the Clemente story as an episode, have the uh, Kelly episode by itself. Typically in Vice, there may be two other maybe small subplots that don't really weave into each other, and that's fine. But these are two whole stories that in and of themselves are pretty much big plots. And like you said, Sim, the main plot, what was the main plot, right? Which was the big story. Exactly. They were both big. They each could have, like I said, they each could have had their own episode. Um, I was waiting on edge to see pretty much how they'd play into each other, and it just did not happen. Now, I was thinking, just like you did, Tim, that Calais and Clemente and Maria, it was all going to be one big thing together but no it didn't happen it, it was just really throwing me for a loop uh, the scene in which uh, Crockett was going gaga over Kelly at the pool again a little bit too long way and too long like we asked whose be- yeah, who's, who's beach house was it was it Crockett's was it a seizure whatever simply put and again based on how other episodes played out a lot of expectations that I had didn't pan out and I hope Ted Nugent didn't get paid a lot per word on this. He'd get nothing because he had really no lines. And neither did um, uh, Rojas's brother. He had no lines whatsoever. And now we've arrived at Snurd's Chalkboard of Wisdom, where we hope to inspire, enlighten, or make you snicker little. In both the world of Mammy Vice and our current world, we encounter many challenges we work to overcome. In the interest of creating a family-friendly atmosphere through the show and our social media, we'd like to offer some parting thoughts. A quote, phrase, or words of encouragement or funny quip to you, our listeners. Because without you, our friends, we'd be talking to ourselves. And we say friends because that's what we consider all of you who follow our show and social media. This episode's quote is from The Haunted Mansion in the Disney Parks. And it goes something like this. When hinges creak in doorless chambers and strange and frightening sounds echo through the halls. Whenever candlelights flicker, where the air is deathly still, that is the time when ghosts are present, practicing their terror with ghoulish delight. Paul Freese. We encourage everyone listening to be a positive force, not only in your own life, but others as well. It's contagious, and it can make our world a better place. And with that, we'd like to bring this episode of the Vice of Miami podcast to a close. If you like our show, and we hope that you do, please help spread the word. We can be found on Instagram and Facebook at Vice of Miami Podcast and Twitter at Podcast Vice. Tell a friend and post this and other episodes on your social media and tag us at Vice of Miami Podcast so we can see it. And if you can, please rate and review the show on Spotify, Apple, Podcast, or your podcast platform of choice. This helps out us out immensely. It only takes a few moments and would mean the world to us. It's listeners like you who make what we do here worth it. 
and just the many thanks to everyone who has liked, commented, or reviewed our shows. So until next time, we'll see you on the Vice of Miami podcast, show number 38, covering season two, episode 13, Yankee Dollar. Now, trick or treat, everybody.